Welcome to the Startups Roundtable podcast, where we discuss the science and art of startups with founders and the broader startup community. I'm Tony Hackett, and I've spent over a third of my B2B sales career either working for early stage startups or as a go-to-market and social selling mentor for founders and their teams. In each episode, we will explore various topics, including decision-making, team-building, and growth strategies. Before we meet today's guest, I'd like to start with an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. Here in Sydney, it's the Gadigal people. We pay respect to elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people attending today. Sales Conversation Intelligence is a new and promising technology used by managers and sales reps to help improve their performance. The idea behind this type of software is to allow managers and sales reps to listen in on sales calls and then receive data and analytics about the call afterwards. This data can then help improve the sales team's performance. Additionally, conversation intelligence software can also help train new sales reps, providing real-world examples of how experienced sales reps handle various situations. So let's get to it and meet Wingman CEO, Shruti Kapoor. Shruti, thanks so much for making the time to join me on the podcast today. wonder if you could get us underway by telling us a bit about yourself pre-Wingman and also sharing with us what you're up to with Wingman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Tony. You know, I spent my early life, or rather my early career, doing things very different from sales. I started out with investment banking at Morgan Stanley uh, in media and telecom, uh, and then spent a almost a decade uh, looking at investments in early stage technologies coming out of like university research or, you know, garages of tweakers and inventors. But through that journey, I was always really curious about just a startup world and like, you know, the ability to take something which was just an interesting idea. Maybe you came at it as a solution or you came at it as a problem, but then like, you know, taking it all the way, seeing how the market reacts to it, making those adjustments and iterations. So, you know, that was kind of my sole motivation to doing a startup. And, uh, you know, eventually I got the courage and started Wingman four years back. And uh, yeah, here I am. Now, four years back is, it feels like a long period of time, but if we throw COVID in the middle of that, it's not much before COVID that you actually started your startup. How did it feel being very, very early into this journey and then COVID was on the doorstep? What impact did that make to you and your your thinking through being a founder and having made this big decision? Yeah, it's funny. I think, uh, you know, the early part of pandemic, uh, right, was hard, you know, partially because as a very young startup at that point, we didn't really have systems and processes uh, in terms of, you know, working with each other even, uh, right, which were, you know, mature enough or enough documentation for people to kind of move to that remote work scenario. Uh, that was one part. The second part was, you know, so Wingman is a sales technology which analyzes conversations and helps sales teams essentially make better decisions around how they should be interacting with their customers. And when COVID started, the first thing that happened was, like I think is also happening today, is uh, you know, sales teams get impacted uh, when there is uncertainty. So our largest customer at that point, like, had to lay off 80% of their sales team. So something like that, when you have only, like, you know, a handful of customers can be pretty dramatic. But then what also happened, uh, right, over a period of time as the pandemic started to settle down was two things. One was we saw because we were giving analysis and recordings of these sales conversations that helped teams who are now remote stay in touch 
adoption of the product just shot up. We were seeing people coming into the product like 5x more than they were coming before the pandemic. And we started getting a lot more feedback from our customers, which was great. The second thing that happened, which I think as a startup was very interesting for us, was we didn't have to throw budget to get our voice heard. So we could actually compete on a much more equal footing with some of our largest competitors without having to spend the money because there were no like real events. And virtual events don't cost that much. And you could be a part of virtual events uh, without having to fly. So it also broke down the geographic borders. So yeah, I think, you know, the early signs were a bit discomforting, but I think once things settled in, overall fairly positive. What you're doing also appears to me to be very disruptive. And that being the case, there's an element of education I'm expecting that you're needing to bring to your prospective customers. But in some ways, I'm kind of curious, does it start to look like a change program? I'm not wanting to make it more grand than it needs to be, but it does feel like that you're offering a way for sales teams to fundamentally change. Maybe just for everyone's benefit, right? Like what Wingman does is we are recording all of these sales conversations, which could be happening over, you know, phone calls or Zoom meetings or Google Meet. And then we are transcribing it. We are trying to pick out, you know, what is actually happening, like what are the main topics being discussed? Are, you know, people talking about negotiations? Is it timing which is coming up more, etc.? And then part of it is giving everyone that post-facto analysis, but also in real time as these conversations are happening, being an aide or assistant to the salesperson or, you know, wingman to the salesperson. And the idea is that, hey, you know, somebody asked you for a discount and instinctively you might say, sure, let me go check with my manager. But maybe there are, you know, the preferred response is for you to take a step back and talk about ROI. So that's kind of what the program uh, looks like. And when we work with companies, there are, I think, two types of change management that people need to do. One is around uh, just getting the acceptance to recording calls because in a B2B sales setting, that's not the norm, I think, um, or it didn't used to be the norm five years back. Uh, and we would hear all sorts of you know, responses like, hey, you know, my salespeople say all sorts of shit on calls. There's no way they'll be comfortable recording it, right? And people use all sorts of means to also negotiate deals. But then the second part of it is change management that we assist, which is, hey, I think this is a new playbook that I want my sales team to adopt, but it's so hard to actually get a salesperson to change their habit. And so doing the change management around, um, you know, adoption of playbooks and helping people both one, um, you know, having reminders that, hey, you know, this is how you could be addressing this objection. And two, giving managers a way to see how the adoption of the new playbooks is coming along, like, you know, did Shruti talk about this in 30% of her discovery calls uh, versus Tony spoke about it in 65% of his calls? So those type of things as well. So now both of those together, like it's it's two different types of change management that you're trying to do at the same time. That's interesting. Do, do you find that it puts a different pressure and at the same time a different opportunity in the hands of the sales managers? Absolutely. I think uh, what... A lot of sales managers struggle to do, you know, especially when they're transitioning into a management role, is how much do I need to be involved with each deal and with each conversation, right? Versus, you know, how much of a step back should I take? And um, one of the concerns that they have when they decide to take a step back and like, when it comes to taking a step back, it's like they still need to understand what the customers are saying. They still need to understand what's working in a pitch, what's not so that they can actually help go design a better playbook. But they don't want to come across as micromanaging. I think this gives a great avenue to sales managers to not 
feel like they're micromanaging by, you know, stepping in on their rep stores by joining calls. And if they join the call, then the dynamic changes. But now they're able to go back and like observe all of these conversations and take notes, uh, really see uh, the patterns and then use those to um, kind of create their sales playbooks. Um, so it's a, it's a great tool for managers. And I think from a rep's point of view, it does two things. One is I wanted advice on how could I have dealt with that situation better. But, you know, when I go to my manager and say, hey, this customer talked about this competitor, what should I do? It's much more black and white versus if I listen to the whole conversation and, you know, then my manager understands exactly where the customer was coming from and then they're able to give me much better coaching and advice. And the second thing is when I'm on the call with the customer, I'm no longer distracted by taking notes, trying to update my CRM at the same time and, you know, making sure that I remember the conversation because I have the opportunity to go revisit it anytime. There's something that strikes me that's very interesting and very rich about this. And if I consider that a lot of organizations, allow me to generalize for a moment, a lot of organizations take their sales teams through an annual sales training or a sales refresher, standard two, three day. This is our methodology. This is how we go about it. Everybody bring along a large deal. We'll workshop that through the two or three days. It's a batch once a year, maybe twice a year, where this is truly an opportunity for sales managers and sales teams to be able to really in the run incrementally test and improve, test and improve, test and improve and find opportunities for personal and professional growth, but also just to work better as teams. Is that a reasonable way to think about this as well? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other challenge with the typical annual type of retreat and training is the retention, right? So like 30 days after a training or 60 days after a training, you, you remember like maybe 20% of what happened and you might have adopted even half of that. So the challenge is that you spend so much time and money, you don't get the adoption of, you know, whatever was the new playbook or the new methodology that people wanted to test out. And so you have no clear answers on whether the methodology is not working or there's a problem with the sales rep or there's a problem with my pipeline generation. And, and so I think those are some of the big questions that management is always struggling with, but currently has no way of like really getting the right answers. Shruti, can you take me to the other side of this conversation and then uh, share what it looks like from the customer? So from the, the person who's being sold to, how they're brought into this discussion, how they're put at ease to be in this, this new environment, this recorded environment. Very often what we see, um, and we definitely want the sales managers to have the right um, kind of mindset going into it as well. At the end of the day, it is still a fairly personal interaction, uh, right? And the outcomes will depend on, like, do people view this as a coaching opportunity or do people view this as a, you know, a fault-finding mission? And so I think uh, what is important is, like, the first thing we do is we actually help the managers understand how uh, the platform helps uh, the sales reps, right? So at the end of the day, if the sales reps approach this as, hey, this is going to help me do my job better versus this is going to just help my sales managers, you will see a big shift in the way people approach the platform or the adoption. And I like to use Salesforce as an example of that. I feel like Salesforce is very much a tool for the managers. You know, very few sales reps will say they get value out of it, right? And I think uh, that's the exact opposite approach that we take with the platform. We are like, 
It doesn't matter how many dashboards your manager can see. At the end of the day, the change happens in the field with the reps. So if you can enable the reps to make the change and help them track that better, then you're actually going to improve um, the organization sales process. You're going to benefit the reps and you're going to benefit the manager. So we look at it as a very bottoms up approach. And so what will happen is, you know, the sales reps, gets, uh, the sales manager gets introduced to the platform and then we would ideally have them send out an email inviting their team to test out the platform, uh, but also to say that, hey, you know, we would love your feedback because this is a platform for you to benefit from. You know, this doesn't require you to log in to enter data. Uh, this is going to actually help you automatically update your CRM because it'll know when you had the conversation, did that call actually happen? Plus, you know, this is uh, also in some ways a substitute or an aid to taking notes. And then the sales reps look at, I mean, they could they could still look at this with somewhat of a suspicion. And I think the next stage there is really how does the manager react to the information that the platform shows them, right? Do they go at it, like I said, with fault finding or do they go at it as, hey, you know, that was a great way that you know, you handled their objection around pricing. Um, but here are, you know, a couple of talk tracks from some of your peers. Uh, and maybe you could test this out next time and let me know what, how that uh, works out. It's also an opportunity for peer learning, which, you know, is often very hard, especially in the sales environment, but even more so today with everybody being remote. That's a wonderful way to put it. I started to think as you were discussing it, what it would look like from a, a buying team and how a buying team could actually take the same approach for the same benefit of being a better acquirer. And I think back to the Challenger sale whenever that book came out and they brought out one not long after that, which is the Challenger customer or some such title, which was to say there are different types of, of buyers to match up with different types of sellers. So in fact, a, a buying team could be going through the same learning and uh, improvement process. What also struck me is that it allows an organization to stand behind their cultural statement. If you tell me that I'm joining the company and we're here to help you improve, how are we doing that? This is how we do it. We, we care enough to get to the, the granularity to be able to share and all of the things you've just discussed, that becomes a very tangible stake in the ground to do with culture. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of times organizations don't realize what is their biggest lever to retain their top talent, right? Um, you know, the top talent is going to make good money for themselves. They're going to make good money for you. And they're also going to be highly sought after. One thing with sales is it tends to get a little bit repetitive and boring after a while if you've been working with the same company and the same product. And you can't have uh, like a management path for every uh, sales rep who's doing well in the team. Now, your biggest lever to actually retain them is that they are feeling that they are growing and that they are learning. And uh, something like this can actually be a big, big platform for them to, you know, feel that way. And also for them to be able to then pass that on in like a more peer-to-peer -peer learning and mentoring fashion. That's really powerful. I'm also picturing that there must be some amazing behavioral data that you get to see. Are you seeing any interesting trends that have emerged from that mark four years ago through COVID and as we're in a very tough economic environment now? You know, when COVID started and we were seeing pretty big changes in terms of how sales teams were faring and a lot of uh, different sales leaders that we spoke to, they were like, hey, 
I'm not seeing any deals close. And I think, you know, the main reason is budgets are frozen right now. So we said, okay, why don't we go and look at some of the conversation data and see, you know, what is the biggest blocker to deals closing? And to our surprise, what we realized that while budget was coming up, the biggest factor during those conversations that was showing up was really timing. Um, Because there was so much uncertainty, it wasn't necessarily that people suddenly overnight didn't have budget. But what they were most worried about was that, hey, I don't know, you know, what three months later or six months later my business might look like. And therefore, I can't make a big decision right now, um, you know, whether it's investing in technology or a new vendor of any sort. And so our feedback to the sales managers was, you know, instead of just going all out with discounts, what you need to do is have a much better nurture flow and think about your deal velocity as something that is is going to go down. All right. And make sure that your sales reps are actually doing follow-ups one month later, three months later, even though previously your deal velocity might have been like maybe you close deals in three weeks. And that was kind of a big, you know, a big revelation for us because everybody on the surface was talking about just budget freezes. I think with the economic crisis, what we are seeing is something similar. We are definitely seeing, um, you know, people talking about uh, budgets a lot more. And wherever those conversations are happening, you know, uh, we do see that win rates uh, on deals come down. But what is really interesting is that if you can flip that conversation from being around budget to being around ROI, it can actually benefit you tremendously. So what we saw was that when either the rep or the prospect talks about the ROI, the win rates for the deal go up by 30 to 40%. And this means that even today, people are willing to spend money as long as they can go back and understand how this will benefit them. Because at the end of the day, people realize that like, hey, just by cutting my cost by 10% or 20% is not going to change the whole picture on my balance sheet. What I also need to do is to see how some of these cost cuts are impacting, right? And we do see very often that, you know, when companies go into the situation where I need to show my team that I'm being conservative about budgets, they don't make the best rational decisions around budgets, right? Like you might see people saying, hey, I don't want to send reps for an event, right? It might only cost them like $5,000 for a rep to attend an event. And if the rep gets you like even two deals of $20,000, is that much better? Just like in those conversations, people think about ROI and are able to justify budgets, you know, in whatever other sales that you are doing, you have to present it from an ROI perspective. That's really powerful. It's it's most powerful to hear what you just said based on data. (laughs) Like many times we'd hear something similar to what you've just said based on what people just think, but the fact that you're in the data. It also, I'm seeing this twin edge of the wingman sword, and that is there's an ability to peer share, test and improve, but also for management to get at a level of granularity, real granularity, factual granularity that can actually help to advise strategy. And that is something that isn't easy to come by. And even if it is requiring for sales reps and managers. And I say this with all due respect because uh, for the last 35 years, I've been one of them myself. When somebody asks you to write something up, you'll kind of get to it and you'll do what you need to do, but it doesn't necessarily capture that very fine grain that you're describing. So there is an amazing two-way street or twin edge of the sword that is working toward the customer, but actually back towards strategy. You can't get that anywhere else. I don't care how much you pay the greatest consultants on the planet they can't actually do what you're able to do. 
that's a very valid observation like you know for the for the economic downturn analysis we were able to look at data across millions of minutes of sales conversations i think uh, for each organization when they look at their own data they also realize the nuances because you know if you're selling a $100,000 product versus a $5,000 product you know some of those trends are going to look very different for you and when they're able to go back look at their own data look at you know why some of their reps are doing so well how does that correlate to you know what they're talking about in the calls when are they talking about pricing it's really quite powerful and then you're no longer relying on generalizations right and then trying to put guesswork into saying hey does this apply to me or not uh, now you're able to look at that data and say oh this doesn't apply to me so i don't need to care like what that consultant who i paid you know a bunch of money said uh, i can see from my data that my best reps don't do this and they are still doing really well Shruti, is there a diversity and inclusion lens that you ever put over the power of Wingman? It's interesting. I, we haven't um, actively thought about that. But one thing that we do see is, and this is more like feedback that we get from sales reps, is a lot of times there are reps who are not that comfortable going out and asking their peers for help. A platform like this really helps them, um, you know, power through and come up with insight, both in terms of learning from others, but also in terms of being able to share what they've learned, uh, right? Because they're able to create their own playlists, you know, get asynchronous feedback. So uh, we do see that, uh, I know, like a lot of times sales cultures tend to be a bit more aggressive and um, not everybody fares well in those, but uh, I think this does allow for that variability. It's interesting you, you say that. One of the notes I made for myself in preparing for our conversation today, I actually wrote down ego and how ego could get in the way of somebody maximizing this because all of a sudden their subtleties, whatever that might be, <laughs> are, are on display. There's never a one-size-fits-all, but there is something that's very powerful in this. I am curious, as a founder, so that's the wingman story. So for you, where's the joy for you? What do you enjoy doing most as a founder of Wingman? The thing that I enjoy the most is really seeing you know, a user use the product and then tell me like how it impacted them. Because I think when you're sitting here and just thinking about, hey, should I launch this? Should I do that? Like there are always like 100 options on the plate. And then when you see that go all the way from that planning stage to somebody using it, the joy of like seeing them benefit from it is uh, really the biggest thing. Personally, for me, I think I enjoy speaking to and meeting with customers a lot because, you know, that's kind of where it closes the loop for me to say, oh, was this all worth it? That's tremendous. Uh, this has been a, a really exciting conversation for me. It's something that's very close to my heart, this whole how do you improve sales teams? How do you become better engaged and, and test and improve? I'd love to know if you could share in closing your perspective on mentors and coaches and maybe if you had a, a tip or a reflection for somebody who might be listening to our conversation now. You know, I also come from a coaching background, so I, I truly appreciate what they can do for your life. But I think from a sales perspective, one thing as a coach or a mentor to be aware of is that when people are coming off either a win or a loss, they're not going to be necessarily in the best frame of mind to take an unbiased look back into whatever happened on the deal, right? They're either going to, everything is going to be colored. And so it's useful, even if you want to do like a debrief on a deal that happened, like give it some time for things to settle down and for the emotions to go away so that everybody can 
look at it self-critically. And I think the second thing that really helps is instead of being the first person in, in terms of giving feedback, have the mentee or the sales rep take charge of giving themselves feedback and generating feedback from their peers. Because very often we feel that there is like a right way of doing something, but you know, we are not fully putting ourselves in their shoes. So I think if they start with the feedback, they're also a lot more open to you elaborating on it versus, you know, you starting at it and then they being defensive. Terrific considerations there. And not only a terrific considerations, but being able to do it based on recorded data allows it to be very real and to be constructive. So thank you for that. Shruti, it's been brilliant to meet with you today and I'm excited for the wingman future. It'd be terrific to stay in touch and to chart your course, but thanks for joining me. Thanks, Tony. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Feedback is always welcome. And I would appreciate introductions to potential future guests to invite onto the podcast. But that's it for today. Thanks for listening and bye for now.